Hey friends, open your Bibles to Mark chapter five. Now, if you aren't in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible or you're under 40, you can also take your digital device and you can open up, it's called the YouVersion app or it's also called the Bible app. It's such an amazing app. So many amazing options on that. If you don't have it, you should download that right now. And so we've taken all the notes, we've taken all the scriptures, we've already uploaded them. There's an opportunity for you to follow along, place where you can take notes. And so I'd love it. If you join me on that, wherever it is that you're watching me from, can I just say, I love you. I'm so grateful that you're a part of what's going on here at Life Church, and so glad that you're a part of our family. And you know what? I was actually going to talk about something else today. But this past week, I was thinking about life in lieu of our current situation. And as I was having those thoughts with myself, I felt like the Lord took me back to the passage of Scripture that we were in last week. And when I went back there, I was struck with the idea, struck with the thought that in the telling of our story last week, I all but skipped over one of the most significant stories in the Gospels. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back into the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, and I want to share with you a message that we're going to call Divine Interruption. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, could we just pause on that just for a minute? Like, we love you. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of our struggles, in, in spite of the stress that's going on in this current situation, we love you. God, we've been through things before. We've had struggles before. We've had strains before, and you were there then. So because of that, we know that you're going to be here now. You said you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And so today, for me, for my family, for my friends on the other side of the screen, and their families, I pray peace. God, you said, peace be still. And so today I pray that we would know that peace, that we would know that rest. And today for just a few minutes, we would turn off all of the struggle. We would turn off all of the strains and the stress. And we'd lean into you. That God, you would chip away at who we are. And that you'd take the void, you'd take the empty places, and you'd fill them with you. Help us be more like Jesus. In your beautiful name, amen. Hey, don't you feel like life has been interrupted? Work has been interrupted. School has been interrupted. I mean, sports have been interrupted. The economy, healthcare have both been interrupted. And so society feels like it's been interrupted. Because of all those interruptions, it feels like our peace has been interrupted. It feels like we've been positioned for panic which seemingly happened for our friend Jairus, who we talked about last week, desperate. He comes, he comes looking for hope. He comes looking for healing. He comes looking for Jesus. And when he found him, desperately, he fell at his feet. Desperately, he pleaded with him to come and heal his dying daughter. And in verse 24, it, it so casually, it, it so nonchalantly seemingly says, so Jesus went with him. And when Jesus went with him, the miracle was in motion. But in verse 25, we see what looks like a healing hijacked because starting in verse 25, we see a, a detour, a detour from a dying daughter and we read about a woman who wasn't well. And it is in that encounter that we become observers in one of the most significant, most famous miracles in all of the New Testament. It is so well known in the church world that we just refer to it as the woman with the issue of blood. Watch this, verse 24. So Jesus went with him. 
A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there, and she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Now, the Gospel of Luke takes a different spin kind of on this. And, and what I mean is that, that our friend Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he expands on this because if you remember earlier in the series, I talked about Luke. I talked about one of the things that I love about the gospel of Luke is his perspective. Because of who Luke was, Luke is very detail-oriented. And so being a detail guy, I want to show you some of those details. Of course, I can't dig as deep as I'd like to because of even in this format, our time constraints. But if you want more details, we're actually going to do something new. We're going to do something that we've never done before. This week, I'm going to personally host a Zoom call. And if you want to be on that, you can get on and you can talk to me about this story live. And so if you want to take part in that, all you have to do is go to lifechurchgreenbay.com, click on RSVP and we'll get you registered. And so Luke, here's what he says. She came up behind him and touched the fringe or the hem of his garment. And this is a really important detail. And it's important because there's significance in the hem. There's significance in the fringe. Rabbis wore a garment. It was called a talit. And a talit was a covering. It was, it was kind of like a prayer shawl. And the hem of the talit represented the rabbi's authority. If the rabbi was a healer, it was observed that the healing came from the hem. More specifically though, our friend Luke, he says that she touched the fringes of his garment and on the corners of the talit, the rabbi had tassels called tzitzit and those tassels or those fringes, they represented the commandments and they were very intricate the knots and the strands and the strings of those tassels, they actually numbered 613. That's the original number of the commandments that were given to Moses for the people. And those tassels, those seatzits, those they were viewed by the people as wings, which actually goes back to the writing of the prophet Malachi, who said, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. So contrary to some descriptions, this woman wasn't groping or grabbing for whatever she could get her hands on. She specifically grabbed for the hem because of his authority. And she specifically grabbed for the fringes because there was healing in his wings. And because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Luke actually says he felt virtue go out from his body and that word virtue actually means purity of power. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, you see people crowding around you and yet you ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet and trembling with fear, she told him the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
and she fell in fear because according to the Torah or according to the law, she had been deemed unclean. And if you were unclean, you were untouchable. When you were unclean, anyone who you touched or who touched you also became unclean. You transferred your uncleanness. And when you were unclean, at least for the period of your lack of cleanliness, you were kept in quarantine. You were forced to practice social distancing. You could not be in public without prior authorization or without a proper announcement. When you were unclean, if you were going to go anywhere in public, you had to make it very well known. You had to make a scene. You had to yell out, unclean, unclean. But the worst result of being unclean was that you couldn't go to church. You, you couldn't go to the tabernacle. You couldn't go to temple. And by not being able to go to temple meant that you couldn't offer sacrifices for your sins, which essentially meant that you'd be living in a perpetual state of sin except for one time per year when the priest made a corporate sacrifice for the sins of all the people on Yom Kippur. And so for 12 years, this woman, she was in isolation. For 12 years, she was living with fear that if she died within that little window of time between the sacrifices, she would not be able to enter into God's eternal presence. Not to mention that if anyone entered the temple or the tabernacle while they were unclean or while they had sin in their life, the Jews thought they just died instantaneously. When you entered into the Holy of Holies, you would just die. And what's interesting is that Jesus was the tabernacle. He was the temple in the flesh. He became the temple incarnate. The Gospel of John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is literally translated tabernacled. It was saying that the word Jesus became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He became the center of who we are. He became the purity that was available to us. And so by touching Jesus, by touching the human tabernacle while she was unclean, she may have thought if he noticed, she could have died. Plus, within the Jewish culture, touching people randomly was neither customary nor acceptable. In fact, there were actually rules set in place to even further restrict the touch, especially with members of the opposite sex. Some people were actually committed to having no physical contact with any member of the opposite sex. It's called Shomer Nigia. By virtue of this woman's condition, by virtue of the fact that she was unclean, she would have already been deemed and declared Nigia. And according to rabbinical law, she was neither to touch nor to be touched by any member of the opposite sex. And if she did, she'd be shamed and shunned from her community. In fact, in some communities, the treatment would be even more severe. She actually would have been put to death by stoning. So in her mind, if she didn't die by her touching of the tabernacle Jesus, she could have been put to death by touching members of the opposite sex and by breaking Nigia. But with one word, Jesus changed everything. With one word, Jesus rescued her. With one word, Jesus saved her life. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, Shomer Nigia, it isn't practiced among immediate family members. 
And so when Jesus said daughter, he was saying, no, 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 she's okay. No, 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 she, she's with me. It's okay that she, she touched me. She didn't break Nagia. She's my daughter. And when he said those words, the sickness in her instantly stopped, but something in those observers instantly shifted. When a woman in quarantine forced into isolation by her circumstances stopped groping and grabbing at all the procedures and prescriptions of physicians and simply grabbed for the hem of her healer, something shifted for everyone around her. And contrary to what we may have pictured, contrary to what we may have heard preached or had portrayed, this woman's condition was not hidden. She wasn't in the crowd in the cut. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and not with a trickle, but with a constant flow. She was covered in blood. She was caked in the evidence of her sickness, caked in the evidence of her illness. And everyone in that town knew her and they knew her condition. And when she walked up, eyes would have rolled and they would have said, oh my gosh, not her again. And friend, your sickness is no secret either. Your struggle is not secret either. You are covered in it. You are caked in the evidence of your sickness. You are caked in the evidence of your struggles and your illness. And everyone who knows you knows. I mean, you've tried to cover it up. You've tried to mask it. You've tried to mask it with work and hobbies and life. But now that life is suspended, the struggle is shouting. Your marriage is shouting. You've always been able to mask it because you were at work more than you were at home. But now it's in your face 24-7. Your money, it's shouting. You've always been able to mask it because another paycheck was coming. But now those paychecks may have been put on pause. Your addiction is shouting. You've always been able to mask it because you've been able to do it in private. But there is no more private. Y'all, we've run out of masks. There's no way to cover it anymore. So rather than trying to hide it, rather than groping and grabbing at all your man-made cures and covers, what if you grabbed for the hem of the healer? Because this divine interruption, it is an opportunity. An opportunity to regroup, an opportunity to reboot, an opportunity to hit the factory reset and wipe out all the bugs that are in your system. It is an excuse to get rid of all this stress. Y'all, some of you are gonna have some things stripped away. Some of you are not gonna immediately recover financially. Some of you, you're gonna have to downsize. You're gonna have to live in a smaller house or an apartment. You're gonna have to drive an older, cheaper car, but you need to understand that you are not alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always, provide for you. And you're not alone. I can tell you that I've been there. I remember when Pastor Sonny and I literally lost almost everything. Once I got beyond the initial shame, it ended up being one of the greatest blessings of my life. We were forced to live in a cheap rental house. I was forced to drive an old $3,000 car. We didn't have cable or internet. For part of the winter, we didn't even have heat. But for the first time in my life, I read the whole Bible. I actually discovered that I loved Jesus and he wasn't just part of my job. I played games with my kids and had conversations with my wife. I went through counseling. I found healing. And that divine interruption, it directed us to our destiny. 
Life Church as you see it was born in that time. The exchange and journey to wholeness were born in that time. I don't have another period in my life that I look back on more fondly. It was it hard. Absolutely. It was terrible in the moment. My self-worth and my self-esteem had never been lower. But that was the beginning of the blessing. Because when we are weak, he is strong. And I wonder, what's being born in you right now? I mean, what if this is the new norm? What if your salary never recovers? What if the changes you're having to make are permanent? If I had to ask myself, what if this is the new norm in churches? Like, what if we never go back to church the same? What if we never fill a big room again? What if, like that woman, some things have instantly, permanently stopped? Isn't that okay? Aren't, aren't there some things that just needed that? What is it in you that needs to stop? Is it the doubt or the depression, the discouragement or the distractions? Is it the debt but what if just like her, when those things in you instantly stopped, something in your observers suddenly shifted? What if something better became the norm? Let me just show you what shifted in her observers and what became the new norm. In Mark chapter 6, this is just one chapter later. Jesus has just walked on the water. He's just got back in the boat. And in verse 53, it says, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and they anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and they carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the fringe of his garment, and all who touched it were healed. Before her, nobody grabbed for the hem of the healer, but now everybody was grabbing for his garment. And I wonder what needs to become your new norm? Where can you maximize this divine interruption? Wherever it is, reach for it because your faith will heal you, you'll go in peace, and you'll be freed from your suffering. And all I wonder today is in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this stress, will you do that today? Would you close your eyes with me today, wherever it is that you are? I don't know you, some of you. I've, I've never met some of you. I've never seen some of you. But the one who we're talking about has. The one who we're talking about, he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's that one who looks at you in the middle of your struggle and your strain, your stress, your trials, your tribulations, and he looks at you and he says, daughter, or he looks at you and he says, son. And he does that because he is desperate to be in relationship with you. In the church, we call that salvation. Salvation where you receive the Lord as your as your Lord and Savior. Sometimes those words, they get lost in translation. And, and here's what that means. When, when you say that you want Jesus to be your Lord, that means that you want him to be the one who's in control. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody else who's got more power to be in control right now? 
When you say that you want him to be your savior, that means that you realize that you can't rescue yourself. Talk about a time where we can't rescue ourselves. Some of us can't go to work. Some of us can't go to school. Some of us can't do the things that we have taken for granted. We need someone to rescue us. And so today, if you're watching this, I wonder if something clicked in you, something connected in you that said, whatever this Jesus thing is, I need that. And so this morning, I want to give you opportunity to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. So here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to pray a prayer. And as I pray that prayer, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to repeat that prayer after me. And if you repeat this prayer after me and you mean it in your heart, Scripture says that you will be saved. And so will you just bow your heads? Will you just pray this after me? Would you just say, Jesus? I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Would you come into my life and make me different? Come into my life and make me new? I believe that you can change me. I believe that you can save me. Please be my Lord. Please be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want the opportunity to follow up with you. So will you just message us right now, whatever kind of device it is that you're on, would you just make the next step and would you reach out to us? And if you don't see a way that you're watching for you to reach out, would you just message me? Here's my email, sean at lifechurchgreenbay.com, S-H-A-W-N at lifechurchgreenbay.com. And I would love the opportunity to pray with you. I would love the opportunity to follow up with you. But maybe you're here and you're watching, you say, Sean, like I'm saved, I'm a Jesus guy, or I'm a Jesus girl, but this thing has been weighing on you. You're not thriving in this situation. And there's something in your life that's suffering. That's you. I'm gonna ask you right now, just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm gonna pray for you, God, right now for my friends, my brothers, my sisters who are on the other side of this screen. They're struggling, they're stressing, they're suffering. And so today, I pray for that perfect peace, that peace that goes beyond understanding to minister to their hearts and their minds, for their marriages, for their kids, for their money, for their peace. Would you give us peace in Jesus' name?